The Athletic. Hello everyone and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic. I'm your host Tony Jameson and I'm joined by RDF Tactics and producer Steve. On today's show we're going to be talking to Neil Brock from Sports Interactive following the official release of FM23. He'll be giving us some advice about the best things to do when we set up a new save for the very first time. Plus, we've got the Athletics Dermot Corrigan, who will be giving us the lowdown on managing Barcelona in the latest edition of New Vacancy. We've given our manager an in-game glow-up, so now it's time to get to work. FM23 is now officially here, and as such, gamers the world over are launching into their new saves. Here at the Football Manager Show, we wanted to help you get the most out of your save from day one. And to help us do that, we've invited Neil Brock from Sports Interactive along. Neil Brock, welcome to the Football Manager Show. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. First thing we have to ask you, though, what is it you do all day? Well, I am uh, the Community and Customer Experience Manager for Sports Interactive. I've actually been there for over 15 years now, and I spend a lot of my time speaking with the community on the forums, looking at basically the feedback from everyone and amplifying that back into the studio and trying to help people out as well. We provide a lot of support for people struggling with their games or perhaps not getting the results they're looking for. Not getting the results we're looking for. You've been answering my emails then. I appreciate that. That's good. (laughs) Um, So first question we're going to do is not about my results. It's going to be, of course, as regards to setting up your save. Now, the first thing I want to look at, first thing I want to look at, the most important thing before you press continue, what does your manager look like? Well, there's a lot of choices out there, aren't there? I've seen some absolutely bonkers looking managers. For me personally, I try and make it look like myself. So yeah, maybe the sort of person that has got a, a face for radio, that kind of thing. That's what I tend to go for. But I've certainly seen others that look like, I don't know, almost like a giant Timmy Mallet or some other non-contemporary reference, I suppose. So I mean, everyone goes for something slightly different. Are you suited and booted or are you a tracksuit? I do like a tracksuit. I've still got those uh, aspirations to get out there on the pitch myself. I'm one of those sort of saddos, really, that oh, I'll put my boots on even though I'm just trawling up and down the touchline. But yeah, I mean, I can understand those that go for the old big Wenger-style duffel coat as well. I've got a, big, a lot of time for that, especially in the middle of summer. I tend to go suited and booted because I tend to manage lower leagues because I figured that the players would react positively to a manager because they've probably got a job as well so I sort of think that that authority figure is what I go with and also trying to sort of work out as well with regards to my my attributes if I'm going like I tend to go for we'll mention this a bit further down I was probably going to touch upon it a bit more but I I tend to go more for that motivator than than tactician kind of thing so I want to have that air of authority from day one that's what I'll be looking at yeah I think, I think that's fair enough I mean they might be taking the mickey out of you behind your back who knows but fingers crossed you've got that authority and can stamp it down on them now there's several whatsapp groups in the club that I need to stamp down on actually already, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah talking about manager styles so when it comes to the manager attributes now of course if you're a motivational manager for an example you want to have some motivational attributes so what are the key attributes what attributes should we be looking at and what do some of them mean as well 
Yeah, I, th- I think for me, when you sort of start a game, I would certainly lean towards that side, the mental skills over the coaching, especially if you're at the higher levels as well. So it's almost like making it a little bit easier and the difficulty ratings, I suppose, that you can sort of have within the game. So motivation, people management, level of discipline and determination. I'd say those are the four key ones. And that sort of gives you that balance between having the ability to kind of push back against the board if you want to get a board request through and actually being able to keep control of your players in the sense if they come to you with a concern, maybe they want to move to another club or that they actually bother to listen to your team talks and they're not just like playing on their phones or something like that. But at the lower levels, perhaps you've got to be a little bit more balanced with it because if you've say only got like two coaches, you might want to have a couple of sort of decent coaching skills. But really, unless you've got no staff at all, go for those that mental side. I think it's it's really going to help you out in the long run. It's definitely a thing, is it? Men- mental over tactical. But I guess what we need to work out as well is how many leagues are we loading up? Because, I mean, again, you know, some people have got really powered PCs. Some people are playing on laptops. Like, where are we going? If we want to get, like, a very basic level where we're going to get a, a decent game going on, maybe a few wonder kids popping in, like, what would you recommend? I would always say... If you go a quick start, you won't go far wrong. But realistically, you're not going to be listening to this podcast if you weren't looking for ways to enhance how you're going to play the game. So always go for the advanced setup option. And here, before you even get to selecting those leagues, there's a few checkboxes at the bottom that are definitely worth considering. And again, kind of tie into the difficulty, essentially the challenge you want from the game. Now, the first one of these you want to look at is the equivalent of what we call FM safety wheels, the disabled player attribute marking checkbox so there's nothing wrong with having it ticked if you want to take it easy or if you just want to look at sort of player data and see how good everyone is but having that hidden means this you actually have to dig into the scouting and adds that little bit of a challenge where you've got to kind of use it and dig into it and then similarly as well you can disable the first window transfer activity so when you take over a club you can't sign anyone you're just left with potentially the dead wood that the the real life manager has signed at the end of the most recent transfer window so for me if you really want to push the challenge and do that kind of thing those are two things you can do and then the last one to really kind of provide that challenge you can actually prevent control of teams with managers in place so you're really limited by the teams you can take over when you start the game you need to set yourself up as unemployed when you do that and kind of go through that first stage but I had a look just before we sort of came on air and in terms of just if you pick all English leagues down to the the Valorama North South there's only five teams to choose from so again if you want to do that kind of journey sort of person save where you're kind of moving from club to club great challenge for that and talking about in terms of like the supercomputers and how many leagues to select there's there's a plethora of options let's be honest but there's a trap you can really fall into where you just think I'm just going to select everything and have the biggest game ever and then you press continue and then you've got time to go make a cup of tea and come back before you've actually got anywhere (laughs) so do consider how powerful your computer is and do kind of think about the type of game you want to do there's no point having every single league loaded if you're just going to play as like a Premier League team with no ambitions to ever move anywhere else or do anything else So I would say it's not wise to have a massive database with loads and loads of players selected, but then barely any leagues, because generally you'll find active leagues will be more active on the transfer front. Now, we see on the forums quite a lot of people saying, oh, I've gone into the game, I've got loads of Deadwood, I'm trying to sell them, and no one will sign any of my players, even when I'm offering out for nothing. And part of the reason for that is, one, 
it's the first transfer window. A lot of teams have got settled budgets. They've not got any money to spend. They've got settled squads. But yeah. two, and probably one of those things that people don't really think about, is they've loaded so many players into the game and there's so few active nations <laughs> that AI managers have just got thousands of players to choose from. Why are they going to sort of pay for your overpriced winger when they could just sign someone, sort of cheap bargain from some random Colombian league or something like that? So do really have a think about the number of leagues that you want to load in terms of how realistic you want your game to be. Wow. I absolutely have never considered that. But also there is a tip as well, talking about the game, like how fast it moves. When you're in your game, you've loaded everything up, you're in the game. You've got the little FM button at the top, which is options. And then there's detail level as well. If you go into detail level, you can kind of manage the match details that the game offers you. So an international break, like for the World Cup, for example, you can really have detailed stats, I think it is. And then, or you can just go to none and it kind of speeds your game up a little bit. So when you are continuing, the processing process is not that long. That's a great shout. Yeah, if you if you go to full match detail for every single league, it is going to be slow. And I think that sort of people kind of forget that you can load nations, but you don't have to know that load every single league from it. So if you yeah. want, say, Brazil and Argentina loaded because you're desperate for a, a wonder kid, just add the top leagues. You don't need to add them all. And that's that's a good way of kind of getting around that. Yeah. But earlier you mentioned attribute masking. What are the pros? And what are the cons? Well, I think realistically, if you just want to find the very best players as easily as possible, that's the way to do it. I mean, we've added sort of different features to the games over the years. So now there's the scouting packages, which kind of influence how many players you can see when you go to the the old player search screen. Now, if you'd have uh, attribute masking disabled, then you can just click on any player and see exactly what their stats are, their attributes are. And it makes it a lot easier to just say, you know what, this player fits my team, I'll get them. But if you have it masked, then of course you've got to scout them. You've got to take time. And that means potentially whilst you're waiting for your scout to come back with the information, an AI team can sneak in and say, actually, I want this player. So you've really got to sort of balance it out a lot more, especially if it's a player you've never heard of. If you're managing in a league you're not that familiar with, with players you're not that familiar with, that really does mean you could potentially take a risk, sign a player, and then when you see their full attributes for the first time, you're like, all oh, right, I didn't realise that they are the slowest player in existence. Whoops, I wish I'd picked that up. So that's where that challenge comes in. One challenge I have, Neil, is meeting the squad. Okay, Now, day one, I come up and I say hello. Seems to upset a lot of people. Why? <laughs> what, what am I doing wrong? What, what, what are the do's and don'ts? Why, why, why do they want promises that I can't keep? Well, have you checked your breath? Are you make sure that you, you brush your teeth in the morning? I think that's definitely something to consider. <laughs> if it's not yeah. that, then I would say when you first come into the game, you get kind of that, um, the information pack that first comes through. The, you get your swanky office, you can see the shirt on the wall, and it gives you some information. One thing on that screen to really pay attention to is the media prediction, to kind of get an idea in terms of where this team is expected to finish. Again, you may know them from real life, you may know all these things already, but if you're picking a team that's a little bit out there, you've really got to pay attention to this stuff because the last thing you want to go in and say, right, we're going to win the league, when realistically they are a terrible side that's going to struggle with relegation. And similarly, I suppose in the sense of we spoke about creating your manager, there's a lot of stuff about experience in there as well. So if you're like a... 
you've got all the coaching badges. If you're an ex-international footballer, you've kind of got that reputation where you walk into a room, everyone stops and they pay attention. Yeah. If you're someone who played down a bit of Sunday league and you wouldn't know a football from a tennis ball and you walk into a room to manage a team, they're going to smell your fear, I suppose, straight away. And that's where they're probably going to get a bit disinterested in what you've got to say. That, again, a challenge. It's going to take you a long time to kind of earn their trust. And you can only really do that on the pitch with results. So that first team meeting, you just want to get through it unscathed. Yeah, that's uh, definitely worth noting. And of course, as well, in that manager setup at the top, you can set your experience to be representative of the league you're managing in as well, and sort of taking a guess on it. You can say, let's say you're managing in, in the Premier League, you can set your experience to Premier League manager. And now if you want to do Sunder Leagues, you can do that as well. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So again, that experience level definitely ties into it. So, And there's also a slider where you can kind of go more towards the coaching side or more to the mental side. So you've got a few extra points to spend. And as we mentioned a bit earlier, I would always personally drag it a bit over to the mental side and just get a few of those extra points to spend on those things like level of discipline. So again, if you walk into your team meeting, you've got strong level of discipline, you've got strong motivating skills. Those are the kind of things that are going to earn the players' respect. Nice. So that's the squad meeting all done and wrapped up. But what about the first board meeting that you have? And what are the do's and don'ts? Because, yeah, my board meetings don't really go too well, neither. (laughs) I think, again, it's that aspect of coming into the game, understanding where the club are and not trying to do something overly ambitious. (laughs) If you go for sort of if you if you want to have a lot of money to spend, yeah, you can go for grand ambitions, say, oh, we're gonna walk the league, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Gonna do well in Europe or the cup competitions. But with that becomes pressure. And with pressure, it means a few bad results and you're in big trouble. And something we've kind of added for this year is obviously the support confidence as well, which ties in heavily to those kind of the board confidence and the, the club vision as well. And the thing about the support confidence, there's certain clubs who really listen to the fans, like the sort of clubs where I think Newcastle is probably a good example, for instance, whereby people in the crowd, if they start to turn on the manager, generally the board get a little bit twitchy and there's other clubs that just completely ignore the fans entirely probably wouldn't even know they exist so that's something (laughs) you can actually go into club vision and look under performance and see how heavily your board are influenced by the fans really recommend doing that and again if you kind of want a bit of extra breathing room you'll find that some of the competitions let's say for instance you're managing lower league in England like the Papa John's you can just mark that and say actually I don't want this to kind of count towards anything I don't want to be judged on this competition now, it might be easy to think, I'll oh, just do that, it'll be really easy. But if the expectations for that competition are like reach the second round, you might want to keep that on because it may be if you overperform in that competition, it can make up for deficiencies you've kind of fallen into, oh. say, in the league or again in sort of stronger cups. So, so don't go all in and just say, I'm going to win everything, give me loads of money, unless you're really confident that you can actually do that. To be fair, that was what I was about to uh to get onto actually was the supporters confidence because I mean again it sounds like it sounds like a me problem really but again (laughs) I get a lot of a lot of angry messages (laughs) especially you know with this even on a new feature it still seems that I've got supporters backs up quite a bit now is there any way of me turning their opinion or is it like in real life where if a set of fans have got an opinion about you then that's it and you've got to really grind to to change them or is it fluid in terms of the support of confidence, it's kind of similar to the, the board confidence in the sense of a lot of it depends on the actions you perform in game. So if you've got a set of fans who are chomping at the bit for a Galactico style signing every year 
and you can't go out and just sign sort of wonder kids in the hope that they build up longer term, you're going to have problems. You've really got to take into account what they want. Likewise, if they just if they're a results only kind of supporter base rather than want in lovely aesthetics and nice football. Bear that in mind. Consider your setup when you're creating your tactics and things like that. So there's definitely ways you can influence it. And over time, things may change. I think Burnley, a prime example, where they've gone from this extremely direct team where the fans kind of just, just want results to a company bringing something in where a lot of the fans can't believe what they're seeing a lot of the time. Fluid football and things will change over time. Expectations will change. But again, if you if you set this incredibly high standard, bear in mind you've probably got to keep it long term because fans' expectations never seem to really drop that much in real life and in the game as well. So now uh, I want to talk about staff. Why is it worth looking at staff delegation early doors, especially if you're a new player as well, if you're new to Football Manager? I think one of the, the great things about Football Manager, and this ties into staff responsibilities, is the fact you don't have to do everything. There's some things you might find in game that just aren't really your cup of tea, you don't really want to spend that much time on me personally I don't enjoy spending loads of time doing the training setup for instance so I'm quite happy to get a decent backroom staff and say in the staff responsibilities you take care of that if anything goes horribly wrong I can set in but you take care of it now this comes with that kind of warning that essentially the AI is good but they're never going to be as good as you are unless obviously you're terrible at it but just as like a baseline they're never going to be quite as good as you so if you ask them to take over the scouting the training the the team selection yeah you're going to be dictated by a little bit of luck depending on how good stats they've got but I would say for new players especially if there's areas you're not quite familiar with or you're not confident with you can kind of leave it to them and over time maybe take it over now me personally I'm a micromanager I want to be offering my under 18 coaches new contracts and signing players and doing absolutely everything and I've got there's like a sneaky little hack that I quite like to use I don't even know whether I should definitely say but (laughs) I like to turn on managing my individual training for under 21 and under 18 teams uh, partly because then I can sort of do the player traits and things like that but also on the side but it gives you the under 21 and under 18 teams back so I really like having the option to click on that and see my teams and actually see who's going to be playing and what matches and it's just don't get me wrong the development center is great but I really just like that custom aspect of being able to click on the sidebar so that's something to bear in mind as well but some people they like the almost like the director of football approach where they say to their director of football you take over the signings I'll just manage the team in some cases, it can be a bit of a lottery longer term, what sort of players you get. But again, challenge. Everyone plays FM differently. Everyone wants something different from it. So staff responsibilities is a great place to sort of customise the setup of your game. Excellent. I like that little hack as well. I'm going to have a look yeah. at that, to be honest. Um, <laughs> now, we should mention as well, obviously, when you load the game up for the very first time, we are talking about career mode at this point here. But that's not the only option available to our players, is it? No. So from the main menu, obviously everyone goes into create a new game. And I think by default, a lot of us just go career, let's get stuck in. But there's some other great options on there. So one of them is create a club where you can basically create a team, any name, any stadium, where anywhere in the world for a certain league. And that's a lot of fun. But I'd also say if you want to play with friends or even against the AI, you've got the options such as Fantasy Draft, which is a really interesting mode that I know in terms of people watching uh, streamers and whatnot on YouTube is really, really positive and a lot of fun. And if you signed up to our members club, FMFC, that unlocks the option of Versus mode, which I am an absolutely huge fan of and have been sort of for a while because it was previously in Football Manager Touch. And in Versus mode, one of the great things about that is, is if you've had a long career game going, let's say you're in 2034, 
or you've won everything, you've got amazing new gens coming through and everything's looking rosy, you can actually export your team and play it against a mate. And now your mate's team may be equally amazing or it may be like first season Walsall and you can absolutely batter them. I mean, it's, it's kind of up to you two to decide what you <laughs> want to do. But versus mode is a lot of fun. It's something I think players should definitely consider. Neil, very much appreciate you come down. Like, honestly, it's been uh, a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we need to ask, is everyone all right at Sports Interactive? Uh, you've been quite busy at the minute, really, I'm guessing. <laughs> Yeah, we are very busy and it's always interesting to see kind of the things that come through from the community. Everyone's obviously got their opinions. A lot of people are just sort of staying quiet and playing the game as well. And we, we kind of touched upon when you sort of start a, a new game as well, that you kind of select a league and you get stuck into it and you enjoy it. And for newer players, we always say, I'll oh, pick a league you're kind of familiar with. That's the best way of doing it. The amount of people we've seen who have picked the Premier League in England, which is obviously quite a well-known league, but do not understand the new kind of five subs rules where it's three stoppages <laughs> for five subs. So I just want to make a plea to everyone out there. Look, do your research. The rules are there. Competitions, rules, check it out. And likewise, the new Champions League format. Like People get to 2024 and they're like, SI, you've broken my game. It's like, don't look at us. Look at UEFA. They've broken everyone's game. So... I'm not trying to diss UEFA on this podcast, of course, but that is the decision they have made. So, so yeah, but but honestly, we, we love feedback. Obviously, love constructive feedback as much as anything else. It does all get fed back. I know there's areas of the game that people wish we would we would look upon, but it is a, that kind of long term. We're always looking at everything. I know you've had people like Nick Madden on in the past talking about the match engine. Like for the, They're already looking at doing something for the next update with the match engine, which we're all really excited about but it's balancing and we've really got to make sure we get it right. The last thing we want to do is release an update where someone's really enjoying their game and suddenly everything changes. Like your tactics completely go to pot. Defenders start doing things crazy. Strikers start shooting from miles out. We've got to make sure everyone's going to enjoy it longer term. But I mean, on behalf of everyone at SI, like we really do hope you're enjoying the game. But if you do want to leave us any feedback or feature request ideas or anything like that, our community forums, our, our socials, or media on uh, Twitter and everything else like that, do get in touch because we'd love to hear from you. Is it okay if you just plug the forum site so people listening know where to go? Yeah, so community.sigames.com. We've had a long-standing community there for many years. There's loads of different areas. If you're interested in, say, the editor, there's stuff for that. If you play the mobile game or any of our console games, if you want to leave a feature request, if you want to log a bug, anything like that, it's, it's kind of the, the place to be. Certainly for me anyway, because I'm on there quite a lot. But yeah, <laughs> hopefully you enjoy it as well. Neil Brock from Sports Interactive, thank you very much. Thank you, much appreciated. You're listening to the Football Manager Show from The Athletic. On The Athletic, you can read in-depth work from the likes of Dermot Corrigan, David Ornstein and Adam Crafton. And if you've never subscribed before, you can get six months of The Athletic for just six quid. How do you do this, I hear you ask? Simple. Visit theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. That's theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. Do it now. Hi, I'm Adam Crafton, and I'm the host of The Athletic's new documentary series, Away From Home. We've been following Ukrainian football team Shakhtar Donetsk through the Champions League group stage. They've had to play their home games in Poland following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The first bomb, I never forget. In this series, we're going to take you inside Shakhtar. <laughs> Travelling with them across Europe 
as they set out on their Champions League odyssey. It's not only about football now, it's about should that we are fighting. I'll be speaking to those in Ukraine itself, hearing stories about how the war has affected them. My wife's father, he died. They killed him here. Subscribe now to Away From Home to follow the whole story. Over the past couple of weeks in New Vacancy, we've looked at two clubs who had vacancies or were about to have them when we chose them. Aston Villa and Wolves. Unai Emery has gone on to win his first game in charge of Aston Villa with a handy 3-1 win against Manchester United. And Wolves have recently appointed the former Real Madrid and Spain boss, Julian Lopetegui. This week, we thought we'd go in the opposite direction to the Premier League's most recent managerial appointments and leave the UK for Spain to take a look at one of the most popular saves on the game, Barcelona. So to tell us more about what might await us at the Camp Nou is the Athletics' Dermot Corrigan. Dermot, welcome to the Football Manager Show. Hey guys, how's it going? Very well, very well, thank you. Now Dermot, for those people who don't know, what, what is it you do all day? What's your role? I write about Spanish football for the Athletic in all its various shapes and sizes. So that could be going to second tier Leganes for a game just to talk to their new US owners. But more often it's following what's going on at Real Madrid. Coming back in Champions League games was quite a lot of fun last year. And then what's going on at Barca, which has been yeah keeping me very busy over the last couple of years, both on and off the pitch. And what's going on at Barcelona is exactly what we're going to talk about today, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, where where do we begin, to be honest? One of the biggest clubs in the world, world-class youth academy, fan base that expects success. Obviously, the elephant in the room is the horrific financial situation. Now, for context for our football manager players, in FM23, Barcelona start with a £0 transfer budget. Fair enough. £26 million in debt and already over their £4.1 million a week wage budget. How does that compare in real life? Because we're looking at this in terms of £26 million doesn't seem bad, but that's before week one you lose £4 million, and week two you lose another £4 million, and week three you lose another £4 million. So <laughs> by by the end of pre-season, you're about £50 million in debt. Is that... Yeah, that sounds about right. Like Barca have been living beyond their means is kind of the easiest way of putting it for, for a long time, for, for maybe six or seven years now. And that financial problems have caught up with them during COVID in a, with a big smack in the face. So they've had to get rid of players off the wage bill for a couple of years. Most obviously Messi, they weren't able to, to re-sign him. They have mortgaged the club, basically. I'm not sure how much detail the football manager goes into, but they've sold their some of their TV rights for the future. Um to uh, American funds. They've sold parts of the club's future business as well. They're, they're merchandising and that. They're, they're looking to get money in for that. So they, they, they've kind of tried to increase their revenues short term, but in doing so, they've mortgaged themselves into the future. So that sounds quite realistic that, you know, that every month they're, they're losing money and a new manager would have to come in and would be working under, yeah, a lot of financial constraints. That is, of course, the big issue. And you will, have, of course, have to sell before you buy, presumably. Mm-hmm. Who are the four players that we're going to build this team around then? Who are we protecting at all costs? And the bailiffs come in and they're not going. Well, I, I think Jules Koundé for the defence um, is was a, was a very good signing. Of all the players they signed last year, including Lewandowski, I think Koundé was the best signing. He's been injured a good bit so far, so he hasn't really had a chance to settle in. But when he has played, he's looked great. And he's a perfect Barca-style defender. Like he's, he's good on the ball, he's athletic, he can cover space, he's technically very good, scores a few goals. In real life, anyway, for sure, I, I would have Koundé in the team, and I'm guessing that football manager reflects that. In midfield, 
like Pedri and Gavi are going to be amazing. What I wonder about is whether they will have to be sold at some stage because they are the guys who you could really, if you wanted to sort out the finances, you know, properly. They're the guys who you could ask uh, like two hundred million or, or whatever for for like Pedri especially is is going to be a already is one of the best midfielders in the world and it's just getting better. And then up front, like Lewandowski, you know, they're relying on him a lot for goals. It would depend, I guess, what your your circumstances are. Longer term, uh, his wages are going to be a millstone around the the club's. And a millstone go around your neck, <laughs> whatever the, the millstone hangs <laughs> around. He's he's under like he's contracted for three seasons with possibility of another one on very high wages. And Zufadi is also amazing. If he can get fit and start to play, and if he develops the way that we all hope that he would, you know, he's he's had a couple of setbacks, but he would be somebody who I would, especially maybe from an emotional point of view, would love to see if they could build themselves, build the future around him. So Kunde, Gavi, Pedri, and Sufadi is a, is a pretty good core to have a, of young players who should improve. Ooh, nice, loving the sound of that. So those are the players that you're keeping. Who are you going to sell or try to sell anyway? As I imagine, a lot of them are going to be the club's higher earners. So we can we can we can mention PK. We can mention PK. He earns a lot of money. It might be difficult to shift, but who are, who would you look to sell? Yeah, that's the problem that Bars have had over the last couple of years is that they've been trying to get those high earners off the wage bill, and it's been very difficult to get anybody who will come in and pay the wages. PK looks like like he's he's announced he's going to leave. So the the actual details of whether who's paying off who or how much he's going to get haven't come out yet. I'm not sure how the game w- would cover that. Jordi Alba at left back is also on huge, huge wages. He's got another 18 months left on his deal. Busquets' deal is up in the summer, so he's not that much to worry about. I like Frankie de Jong as a player. If you can sell him, I think if you can sell him and get like good money for him, then then that would be great. There's a lot of kind of squad players around who, you know, Frank Kessier, Christensen that they signed this summer on free transfers, if you can flip them and, and make some, some handy money. Memphis Depay as well as another one who's coming up to the end of his contract. But if you could get rid of him as soon as possible, it might work out well. There's no shortage of people to to cash in on. The problem is that finding somebody to, to buy them and then, you know, what do you replace them with? I think that's the problem, isn't it? It's it's looking at those players and going, yeah, am, am I spending that tiny bit of money I've got? Am I spending it well? And where's that money going to go? Now, you mentioned previously about these 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 levers, these levers of areas that they're selling off. They're selling off the hot dog stalls, they're selling off shirts, they're selling off sock rights, everything like that. <laughs> um, say we do manage to get an extra bit of cash, right? Say we've sold off the canteen, right? <laughs> if you can then get a, a, a new marquee signing in, who are we going for? Marquee signing for, for Barca? Oh, I, the club need a right back. Really badly need, need a right back. Like... I guess that's not marquee in the in the, the kind of traditional <laughs> sense of marquee, but somebody like Ashraf Hakimi. Uh, if, if I was the the Barca manager and could sign uh, anybody to to add to the team, somebody like Hakimi, a, a right back or a similar type of a a player who can you know is technically good, can get forward and also can, can get back. You can imagine him fitting in alongside Kunde pretty well uh, at right back. Like the what they did was sign a marquee forward in Lewandowski. They went for somebody who they felt could improve the club's finances off the pitch as well. Somebody who would sell jerseys, I guess. If you're going down that route, like Neymar, if it was possible to get him back, if I'm not sure what his contract situation is like, there's talk of free transfers. There's talk of Messi coming back as well, which I think is very unlikely to, to actually happen due to like relationships and, and everything at, at the club. But if you were to try to, to boost the club and to to build, grow revenues, get more sponsors in, get more fans into the club, get a better atmosphere around the team. Those two guys 
would be welcomed back a lot. But again, that depends how, what your whether they they help the team that much. I'm not sure at this stage of their careers. Neymar, Neymar might be pretty good though. Wow. <laughs> I've actually kind of experienced that. I've been Barcelona. I've been sacked, by the way. I brought Messi <laughs> back and that was the season I got sacked. So maybe that's not the best idea. <laughs> but Barcelona have one of the best youth academies around the world. Are there any gems that haven't made the headline yet? Balde at left back has come into the team this season. He's actually played a little bit at right back just because the, they don't have a, a decent right back. But he is somebody who I think over the next two or three years is probably going to... I go. I'd say he could be the Spain starting left back in, in two years' time. He's a really good player. He's he's already better than, than Jordi Alba option there. He's he's um he's very athletic. He's very good technically. You know he's he needs to work a little bit on his defense, but he's a teenage fullback, so so that's kind of normal. But he he looks like the kind of guy who will develop o- over time. There's not too many others. Well, because like Gavi Pedri and Ansu Fati are the kind of they've already come through. Below that, it's Barca, so I'm sure there are kind of some. Some nuggets who are there who, who are going to come in, but there's nobody who who is yet kind of ready to, to make that step up or that I'm aware of anyway that people are talking about as as could come in. Nico Gonzalez is on loan at, uh, just thinking about it, is on loan at Valencia and he's due back either this summer or, or the following summer, depending on how the deal works out. He looked an excellent player, fitted in quite well under Kuman last year, hasn't played that much at, at Valencia, but I, I think in the right circumstances, he could be another one. Again, you know, homegrown, be free, would be somebody who, who could take the place of of Kessia or De Jong if he were to go and and I think the team wouldn't suffer too much. How have Barca lined up under Xavi this season? It depends really. Champions League was a disaster. Yeah. The, the game against Inter Milan at home that 3-0 you know, said a few times um, different stuff with the Atlantic. From the club's point of view it was a worse result than the 8-2 against Bayern two years ago because <laughs> at least with the 8-2 you're like okay we've hit the bottom now we need to start coming back but after signing Lewandowski and after all the Liverpool in last summer there was a feeling look Barca are back that you know we're going to be able to compete at the top level again and that 3 all with Inter was just a, a realisation that they're not yet especially at the top level in Europe and it's even like there seems to be a, like a psychological problem maybe that they in Champions League that they're hitting a barrier in La Liga things have been going pretty well they were outclassed completely by Madrid in the, the Clasico but since then they've bounced back quite well and they're going to be top of La Liga over during the World Cup because Madrid have kind of gone a bit of a snooze <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. They they just kind of said, look, we'll wait for the World Cup and come back. And then in like February, March time, I, I'd still kind of back Madrid to, to win the La Liga title over Barca to outlast them. But Barca's results so far in the Liga have been, have been excellent. They've only dropped a couple of points um, or points in a couple of games. So yeah, it depends how you look at it. But if you're an optimist, glass half empty, you can you, you at least have an argument that you can make. So uh, what formation is Xavi using at the moment? Is it the typical 4-3-3 that we would assume? Or is there another formation that you think would work for this group currently at Barcelona? Do you think there's another formation that would work? Xavi's definitely a 4-3-3 man. Um, as soon as he came <laughs> back, he he made sure, because Koeman had tried different systems straight the back and stuff. Yeah, he made a big play on uh, Dembele that he wanted to play wingers. He wanted to stretch the play. He wanted to have like a the three guys kind of tied together in midfield and then the uh, wingers either side of, of a number nine. He's tweaked it a little bit in, in recent weeks, kind of reality again, kind of hit him. He has played, was Dembele and Rafinha were the two starting wingers at the start of the season. Rafinha's kind of dropped out of it a bit and Ferran Torres has come in and he's drifted around a bit more, sometimes can go in and, and play alongside Lewandowski up top. Also, in some games, he's played four midfielders. He's played Pedri, Gavi, De Jong and Busquets, who, who are all... You know, pretty good Busquets maybe come to the end now, but for the bigger games, he's he's packed the midfield a little bit with that extra bit of 
of ball retention and just play Dembele up front alongside a Lewandowski. At some point, it wouldn't surprise me maybe if, if they did start to play three at the back. They've a lot of kind of defenders who will be comfortable in that kind of situation. And in the bigger games, they haven't looked defensively solid at all. So Kunde, Araujo, Eric Garcia, that that seems to me like a decent, a very decent back three. And then, you know, if you have Balde pushing on on the left, and if they did sign an, an attacking kind of right back, then that could work as a as a tactical system for them. But Sketz is coming to the end. He's out of contract anyway at the end of this season. So it's just kind of planning on maybe what happens after he's gone. Maybe that suits the midfield as well. Just just off the top of my head, the, the, the players that are in the squad, there's a flexibility there that if you wanted to try a different system, you don't have to stick to, you know, the traditional 4-3-3 that Javi played himself and that he seems to want to play. I mean, obviously, you know, expectations understandably high at Barcelona. Question, I guess, in real life, what constitutes a failure in the first season? In the first season, like how vital is Champions League qualification, for example? Because obviously in real life right now, they're about to play in the, in the Europa League. Getting into, like finishing the top four and getting into the Champions League is absolutely vital for, for Barca in real life, for sure. Like without that, they're... Uh, all bets are off on Barca's their model what if they have to sell a stake in the club to somebody like without the Champions League they're in big trouble difficult for Barca even even last season when they were playing you know they had one of the worst seasons in, in the club's history they still managed to finish second La Liga level generally it's not so high at the moment but teams like Sevilla Valencia in theory should be the next tier who are you know challenging are not going not going through difficult times as well so you've got you know Villarreal Betis Real Sociedad Somebody like that might get in and nick a place, but they shouldn't be able to finish ahead of, of Barca. Atletico aren't going through a great time either. So finishing top four is is just... Net. Like, if you don't finish in top four, you, you have to lose your job at Barca. That's that's fair enough. Winning a trophy used to be the what you had to do, but Barca have only won one trophy in the last three years. Copa del Rey under Ernest Koeman, and, and he didn't last very long after that. So historically, it's a, it's a drought. You have to go back like twenty years or something to to a time when when Barca were were so low. So you would think maybe expectations are, are tempered a little bit, but I don't think so. I think the fans really want success. Some people might have from the outside an idea that oh, it's Barca. They have the La Masia Academy. They're you know, the Catalan club. They they there's other things apart from just winning trophies that that are important to Barca fans, but. You know, reality is that they could have just sat there, built a new team around Gavi and Pedri and Ansu Fadi, but instead they, you know, broke the bank to go out or mortgage the future to go out and sign Lewandowski because they needed immediate success. Um, so that kind of tells you what the, the club president and the people running the club, what they expect, what they think the fans want. So I don't think Xavi... Well, after the after they got knocked out of the Champions League, I was wondering, and after the Clasico, maybe Xavi's in trouble here. That that maybe Laporta might get a bit impatient. The way that they've steadied the ship recently, and just the the noises coming out of the club, I don't think he's in danger. You know, assuming that they finish, even if they finish second in La Liga and and maybe win the Copa del Rey or, or Europa League or something like that, I think Xavi's secure in his job. If there's more disasters, if they get beaten heavily in a Clasico, for instance, that it's the kind of thing around Barca that one game can change everything completely. That you can be going well. You can go to the Bernabeu and get beaten 5-0, for instance, and suddenly it's all doom and gloom. Or you can be going badly, as they were last year, go to the Bernabeu and win 4-0, and suddenly it's like, we're back, everything is gone. So Barca is, is that kind of roller coaster club. It's emotional and something that coaches and managers need to be aware of, for sure. Nice. And it's, it's absolutely not a one-man job. Barcelona are doing well in La Liga, getting a lot of clean sheets, putting a decent defensive um, performance on. But are there any coaching staff or scouting staff that are real assets at the moment? 
The football director, Matteo Aleman, divides opinion, I think it's fair to say, is a very confident guy, very sure of himself, very good at, at the business end of football. He's, he's been the guy who's been doing a lot of the negotiations around contract renewals or contract cuts. He's been looking at free transfers that, that they could sign, guys like Kessier and, and Christensen. He's very smart. He, he knows... Yeah, he, he knows what he, what he's doing. He knows everybody within Spanish football. He knows a lot of people within European football, and he's very good at, at getting deals done. It'd be difficult to, to do without him, I think, given the the financial situation at, at the club. One thing to keep a close eye on at Barca over the years has been the, the medical department has been a disaster. Going back to like a couple of years back before Xavi came in, people like Dembele was always injured, Ansu Fadi had, had trouble, um, even Pedri was overplayed and then came back last year and had lots of injury niggles. When Xavi came in last year, he got rid of a lot of the doctors, moved physios around, did brought in some of his own people um, because he was aware it was such a big problem. It seemed last year that it had worked well, especially with Dembele. Um, you know, he hasn't been injured since, which is, is an amazing turnaround, really, because all the muscle injuries he had. But this year they've had a lot of problems again, especially at the back. Maybe it's it's bad luck. Maybe it's something to do with the facilities at the club. Um, it's a bit of a mystery, really, but it's something that any Barca manager would have to make sure improves because without that, especially the type of players you have, Antti Fadi, Pedri, Koundé, all these guys are guys who have had issues as kind of they grew into their, their adult bodies, I guess you could say. So you'd want to keep an eye on that for sure. Excellent stuff. Dermot, appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Where can we hear more of your fine work or where can we find you? On different podcasts around the Athletic Radio Network and, uh, well, on the Athletic every week and on Twitter at Dermot M for Martin Corrigan. Lovely stuff. Dermot Corrigan from The Athletic, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. That was fun. And now it's time for your letters. And to help us do that... Here's producer Steve. Producer Steve, hello. Hello, Tony and Aaron. Hello. Are you well? I'm very well. I'm very well. Very sad to not get along to Nottingham, one of my favourite cities, to see <laughs> you guys have a lovely old time at the Football Manager Therapy live show on Monday. But from the looks of online, it's, it seemed like a lovely old time. It really was. It was great. It was really, really nice to be honest. We had a lovely time. And of course, we uh, we did we did send you a picture. It was nice to actually meet in person properly as well for myself and Aaron there. So yeah. we sent you a little picture to say that to say that oh, we missed you, thank Steve. You. I felt very emotional. Yeah. It's one of those weird ones. You you meet someone that you've been speaking to online for a very long time. You get a bit anxious and as soon as you meet, it's like, oh, it feels like we've been doing this for a very long time already. Would well, you know what it reminds me of? It's sort of like the modern day equivalent of sort of pen pal letters you know yeah people who have relationships over longer form correspondence and very rarely are physically in the same place but have this sort of bond right yeah which is a completely accidental segue into, <laughs> um, but also incredible at the same time i know isn't that funny into our first section of actual long form letters which has come through our mailing system so it's from someone called ian webb and ian writes to say Hello, gents. Love the pod. Thank you for always brightening my day with the episode. So, of course, as listeners for a longer time will know, Ian has paid the toll. He's uh, massaged our egos. So he may, of course, enter. Welcome, Ian. I'm an American that's obsessed with a small English club, Wakefield AFC. They're currently in the 10th level of the English pyramid. Now, of course, as Ian points out, Wakefield are the largest city in England to not have a professional club, which is a nice little tidbit. Last year, I loaded up a custom database and guided Wakefield all the way to the Premier League title by the year 2051. That's a lot of seasons. What a ride, and it was full of ups and downs. But at the end of it, 
I felt empty. Why? I saved scums a number of times to make it happen. Now, hang on a minute. This isn't a letter, is it? No, this is a confessional. This is a confessional. Masquerading as a letter. Now then, Ian continues. Don't worry though, I don't need forgiveness this time. We'll be the judge of that, Ian. As I've already, already taken care of punishing myself. Oh, okay. I may have fired off the bells a bit too early there, sorry. I've already taken care of punishing myself for this. A few months ago, I restarted the save. I turned off attributes and took away the ability to search for players or staff. Now, this is the attribute masking that we spoke about earlier in the show with, with Neil, of course. So now I have to fully rely on ads to hire staff and on my terrible scouts to find me new players. And I've completely committed to no save scumming. I now find myself in the Vanarama National League in the year 2048. So again, he's done a massive secondary game here in terms of seasons. <laughs> it's been a long run, but I think the club is almost ready to go professional. I hope you enjoy hearing about how I've thrown hundreds of hours of my life down the drain <laughs> uh, in the name of doing it the right way. That's from Ian Webb. Now, I'm inclined to say that he has actually, I would not have given as severe a penance as that for, <laughs> for the confessional. So I think actually Ian has served his, I mean, and more than, to be honest with you. Yeah, 100. He's learned from his mistakes and he's seen a better way. <laughs> a better <laughs> path. And I, and I approve of that. <laughs> now, next letter, we have an unbelievable coincidence, don't we, Tony, in terms of where the next person is, is writing from. Yeah, and again, coincidental is, is bizarre. Paul Hardy from Wakefield in West Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> you, you couldn't make it up. You can't make it up, okay? They've started with, hello, Tony, RDF and Steve. First of all, thanks for the show. Loving it. Hasn't paid his penance yet, has he? But still, I mean, a little bit of <laughs> loving it. I'll take that. I'll take that. Right, you know. I plan to write this for the confession section. Hang on, hang on, hang on, Game hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> all correspondence is welcome correspondence. And we will, of course, work out which section it goes into. But he's already addressed the fact that this is a confession. It sounds like uh, He confesses pig-headed stupidity rather than true FM crimes. Steve, you'll be the judge of that, right? Oh, yes, yes, my son. <laughs> yeah, but it may also fit in with the daftest things category that we addressed last week on the podcast. If you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to last week's episode where we had a bit of fun finding out, of course, what is the daftest things you've done on Football Manager. So Paul has written, in about FM 13, I started a save managing at Exeter City. I signed a free transfer in the form of a promising 17-year-old Norwegian striker who had some under-21 caps. But I failed to notice that he had a minimum fee release clause. Within a month, another team had activated this clause and took him away for £275,000. We've all been there, Paul. <laughs> We've all been there. Now, my most valuable squad member at that point was probably worth about 30 to 40k, so suddenly I had a war chest, which I could rebuild the squad completely with. But I felt this had unbalanced the save completely and decided to just abandon it. Somehow I couldn't accept this accidental windfall. As a confession, I fear this leaves Father Stephen in a quandary. What penance can be handed out when this crime is already its own punishment? <laughs> 
I leave it to his infinite sagacity. Best wishes, Paul Hardy. Now, the problem I have with this, my child, <laughs> is I don't know what sagacity means. <laughs> I can't help you. So, <laughs> and I did search it just to sort of clarify. And it means, and I quote, sagacity, the quality of being sagacious. Again. It's not helping. If anything, it asks more questions now, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. There we go. So actually what I should have done, obviously, is, is then search what sagacious then means and continue this path. Having or showing keen mental discernment and good judgment, wise or shrewd. Now, knowing that, mm. and obviously having previously established how fickle our egos are and how easily massaged they are, um, it's absolutely fine, Paul. Fill your boots. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You're great and we love you. There we go. Yes. So those were letters slash confessions. So <laughs> that was that. Now, I had an interesting question on my stream recently. Do you trust team meetings when things are going badly or when is it a good time to have that meeting? Now, I'm, I'm a bit worried about team meetings. I'm not quite sure what to say or when to say it. I kind of wait for the board to force that meeting on me. But when it comes to team meetings, uh, if I'm having a bad time, I'm having a bad time. <laughs> Mate, my fear is when that news item pops up mm -hmm. that says hold team meeting. <laughs> and it could be it could because the form's going badly. But the worst one, the worst one is when we can potentially clinch survival or promotion. I oh. do not click that button at all. There is no team meeting I am holding <laughs> because I know that the second I turn up into that dressing room, it's all going wrong. Like for some reason, there's something about me in front of the group of players. They go, not him again. <laughs> whatever he's going to say is going to be wrong. So like I try and do it to boost morale midway through the season, but I, I try and avoid it because as, as, uh, as Neil had said at the time, at the start of the podcast going, Everything you do and say has an impact. Mm. The gestures you use, the attributes you've got as a manager. Just no, I just <laughs> I try and keep away from it. Just make matters worse. I'm now imagining what that would be like in real life. Imagine if in like a real life football scenario, it's like right, big game, promotion game. Where's the gaffer? Where's <laughs> he's not here? He's hidden away. But they all know that if he's here, it would only be worse. <laughs> at least he's at least he's judged the situation correctly. <laughs> See, I'm kind of the opposite. So if I feel that I can win the league, or if that meeting comes about winning the league or something, I'll try and go into it because that's my little little boost. I feel I can get that boost, and sometimes. Yeah, the players might not react or they might react positively. But it, for me, it's when things are going badly. It's like, I don't know. And I know <laughs> there's certain um, options that the game has given you. And I know this is not what I should be using. But there's a part of me is like, but in real life, I will probably say this. And then so I use it and yeah, it just goes bad. Everyone yeah. is fuming. I never call them myself. I think it's my assistant manager will say, by the way, it's a cup final. Might want to... <laughs> speak to the team about this and I was like yeah cool cool I don't know if that's your experience as well but it, it just makes you wonder about that's a good example actually of like I have no idea when the, the good time to do a team meeting is or not therefore I've hired someone who has got a higher sort of like I, think, I can't remember if it's emotional intelligence whatever the phrase is called in terms of like yeah. understanding the, the sort of 
squad dynamics and that sort of thing, which is a good, personally, I, that, those are the things I look for an assistant manager because obviously they can advise you in the team talks as well. So I hire someone who has a better understanding of those social dynamics than me. And then when they say, yeah, you probably should speak to them, I will. And then just be overwhelmingly positive, which most of the time is fine. You know, I'm a big fan of the outstretched arms. And uh, occasionally, if I want to be a little a little mad, I'll pump the fist. But never, you know, I did the throw the water bottle once and it went so badly. <laughs> so never doing that again. I've always taken pump fists as to sort of G them up. Yeah. I've never taken it as, a, as an, an aggressive thing. But often in those moments when, like I say, it's coming down to the final game of the season where mathematically you're safe or that final push and the message comes from the assistant manager says, you might want to chat to the boys. I just pretend I've been in the meeting somewhere else and I've not seen that email. So I just sort of walk past and go, oh, sorry, did you, did you email about that? I, I, I never saw it. No, no, the servers must have been down or something. Like, oh, they're all fine though. It'd be all right. If you are looking for a good assistant in those sort of situations, I would look at the mental attribute, which is the staff's uh, members approach to dealing with players on a mental level, someone with a good mental approach will be able to observe each individual state of mind and react accordingly. But you also want an assistant with good motivating as well, the mental ability of a staff member to motivate their players. High motivation will allow them to suitably prepare the players for a variety of situations. So kind of look for those two attributes if you do need help in that area, like I do. And I do. So <laughs> thank you very much as always that's a great question that really is a great question and this is obviously what we can do at the podcast we can knock it around and get a bit of an answer between us so um that is very very useful indeed that's the letter section for this week please do keep them coming in letters or confessionals we will of course decide what they are when they drop into our inbox now again we have been assured that this technical issue we've been dealing with will be sorted soon somebody mumbled 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 something about harnessing some light something about channeling it into a flux capacitor it'll all be sorted soon but in the meantime do of course keep those longer letters coming in to ian mackintosh which is at i mackintosh at theathletic.com course you can also send us your tactics for the tactics garage remember tweet us a screenshot of the tactic but more importantly what is wrong with it and what would you like rdf to tweak if you're going to do that you can tweet rdf tactics or you can tweet myself at tony jameson and of course you can obviously just tweet us in general and say that you like things and um, <laughs> we're very happy about that but obviously that is entirely up to you And that was the Football Manager Show from The Athletic. Your guests today were Neil Brock from Sports Interactive and Dermot Corrigan from The Athletic. Your co-host was RDF Tactics. Your producer was Steve Hankey. And I am Tony Jameson. Stay safe, take care, and we'll see you soon. The Athletic. Can 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 you hear me? Okay. Yes, yes, yeah. of course. You can ask ask a question. I try to answer. Sure. So, so I suppose to, just to begin, can you explain the past couple of days how how you are, and also if your family is okay? First of all. Yes. Uh, uh, in in the morning of twenty uh, fourth of of the February, we woke, walked up after the uh, uh, sounds of bombs.
and uh, went to basement. This is the captain of Ukrainian football club Shakhtar Donetsk. His name is Taras Stepanenko, and he's one of the most famous footballers in his country. He was born before the collapse of the Soviet Union. He played over 70 times for Ukraine, and he's been with his club since 2010. I called him as war broke out to learn what was happening firsthand. Multiple attacks on cities right across uh, the country. Uh, the foreign minister, uh, Dmitry Kuleba, uh, has, has just tweeted that uh, the country is under full-scale invasion uh, by Russia. I have a wife and three sons, one uh, seven years, one eight and one four. OK. What do you tell them? scared so much and we, we started to read news but my my son they i think they uh, they don't uh, understand clearly what happened now i think they they they're scared too stepanenko's life changed like so many other ukrainians did when russia invaded the country in early 2022 but six months on unlike most men his age he's fortunate enough to do his normal job again, to play football and to play in the Champions League, where the best teams from across the continent face off to be crowned kings of Europe. For Ukraine, football is more than a sport now. It's a unifier. It's a statement to the world that they are strong. And Shakhtar Donetsk is the embodiment of that sentiment. We are showing to all the world that, uh, that uh, we are still alive. Nothing cannot kill us. We are in the war for 2014. It will be difficult to play, but we must play. Unfortunately, we are thinking just about Ukraine now. And uh, if this fucking bastard from Russia think that we will stop to play because of that, we will not stop to play. We will play, and we will win. For The Athletic, I'm Adam Crafton. Over the course of this series, I'll be tracking Shakhtar's unique football journey as they navigate their way through football's toughest contest, all whilst there's a brutal war raging on their doorstep, forcing them out of their own country. You didn't sleep, you, you cannot sleep. Three days, three days without sleep. I'm proud that I'm part of this team, of this club, and today we can be proud because this victory is, is for Ukrainian people, for Ukrainian citizens. It's not only about football now, it's about to show that, uh, to show that we are fighting, that we are still alive. <laughs> this is Away From Home, episode one, We Believe in Miracles. <laughs>